Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. In a minute. The three loaves of bread to me speak of his death, his burial, and his resurrection. They speak of the true bread that came with their inner journey, the ask, seek, knock. There's three loaves of bread. There's the, the primary thing that we need to feed, feed people on. The gospel is centered in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And if you've got a friend in his journey, there's nothing that you need in, his, in this journey that the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ did not take care of for you. Because he was delivered for our offenses. He was raised for our justification. He was wounded for my transgression. He was bruised for my iniquity. The chastisement for my peace was laid on him by whose stripes we are healed. Everything we need was secured in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And that's what we need to serve our friends in a journey. But he goes on to say that if the friend is in his journey and he didn't have anything, he went to his friend and he started asking his friend. He knocked on the door of his friend. And his friend says, look, man, I have went to bed and my kids are in the bed. Don't bother me. Leave me alone. Now, how many of you got some friends like that besides me? High maintenance friends, I call them. When you see them come up on your caller ID, you go, no, you don't want to, you don't want to be honest here this morning. You got some high maintenance deals. Come on. But how many know after a while they pester you so long that you're thinking, okay, well, all right, if I don't answer, if I don't give, it's going to wear me out. So the guy finally gets up because of his importunity. The guy gets up and he says, okay, what do you need? Because if you don't, you're not going to let me alone. And so he gets up and he gives him as much as he needs. And so I used to preach that like this. I would preach and I'd say, man, you know what? We need to bombard heaven. We're going to keep on knocking. We're going to keep on coming to God. We gonna, Come on, we're going to bombard heaven because if we will continue to bombard heaven because of our opportunity, God will get up and give us what we need. Like, and the first thing hits me is like God don't want to give it to you to start out with. See, that's the whole point. We get to think, well, maybe I could twist God's arm with a hunger strike. Maybe I can make him do what he already wants to do if I irritate him bad enough. That's, the, that's, what, that's what we think this is about. We think, well, if I could just bombard heaven, if I'll keep after it. If I can just, come on, it, it, see, then we start, if I can just pray, and then we get into, if I can just pray effectual, fervent prayers. And what we think that means is we pray until our throat is sore, and we've busted two blood vessels in our brain. Oh, God. If I pray hard, you know what I'm talking about? And because Jesus said, he said, the effectual fervent prayer, not Jesus, James says, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Well, I found out through the scripture that I am righteous. So I can pray effectual fervent prayers. But fervent doesn't mean, you know. Jesus would be to me the pattern of an effectual fervent prayer, right. Right? right? Here's an effectual fervent prayer. Jesus is walking down the road one day, and the guy hollers out, You can heal me if you want to. If you will, you can heal me. Jesus said, I want to be made whole. That's an effectual fervent prayer. We make a production of it. Come on, somebody. And the reason we do that is because we don't really believe. I need some help in here. 
An effectual perfect prayer is not always, and I'm not, look, I'm not trying to talk about formulas. We get, we have reduced everything to formulas. Here's the deal, man. I'm not, I can't take the glory when God heals somebody. So I also don't have to bear the responsibility if they don't get healed. But I am responsible to lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Come on, somebody. Because I'm trying to elevate our thinking to the place that if a son shall ask for bread, he won't get a stone. And the moment I think about bread and stone, I don't think about, again, rules. I think about rules on rocks. And what he's saying is in the kingdom, when you pray, God's not going to give you the law of Moses that disqualifies you because the reason we don't receive a lot of time is because we've been so under the law and the more we preach the law the book of Galatians and the book of Romans says that when the law is preached it shuts up faith for the law is not of faith. If we walk down the church aisle and we don't think, help me Holy Ghost we don't think hallelujah God's going to heal us because we think about the last terrible thing we did. We think about the last sin I committed. And I believe God can heal, but I don't know if he'll heal me. Can, listen, this is good stuff to me. I believe it pulls down strongholds in our thinking. I was driving down the road the other day, because I'm going to tell you something, man. A lot of times we see more miracles in third world countries out of this country than you do in America. And the reason is because we got more formulas and reasons why we seven steps to. We got, I mean, we got so much hoops to jump through, so I wonder if anybody gets anything. And about the time we get something, it's because God just sovereignly bypassed us and said, I'm going to do it anyway. That's the truth. But I got to thinking about, the Lord said to me, the gifts, I love this, the gifts of the Spirit are gifts. Touch your neighbor say, what part of gift don't you understand? And all of a sudden, man, I knew this, Scott, but I went back to the hotel room and I looked up the word gifts. Do you know what the word for gift is in, in Corinthians when it talks about the gifts of the Spirit? It's the Greek word charisma. Same word we translate grace, gifts. The same word we translate grace. They are grace gifts. I give it to you. Not because of you. But sometimes in spite of you. Can, can we talk a little bit here? Sir? Can we talk a little bit? See, I'm going to talk about, first of all, God using you. How many of you besides me have been on your way to church and it's not been the best morning? Now, you don't have to raise your hand just yet. That's all right. We've all been there. You're on the way to church. The kids didn't want to get dressed. There's cereal laying every place. The house is erect. You have fought with the wife all the way to church. Let's get really quiet in here. And you walk, you, you know, and, and I mean, you have fussed and fought, kicked the cat, had a bad day. And you get to church and you walk through the door and you put on your precious Jesus face. God bless you. How you doing? Oh, I'm blessed, highly favored. I'm blessed coming in. I'm blessed going out. <laughs> and your wife going, yeah, you mean as a snake, too. <laughs> and you get in the service. And you've struggled, maybe even all week. And you get in the service, and the Holy Ghost starts to move on you. I'm talking about, see? And the Holy Ghost starts to move. And God said, I want you to start speak a prophetic word over so-and-so. And I'm like, God... Evidently, you didn't see the fight I had with the wife. You may want to use Scott this morning. He's probably holier than I am. He's fasted, prayed. How many of you have noticed sometimes you fasted, prayed, you did all the stuff, you know, quoted, confessed, and God didn't move. But now you don't know how to fight with the wife. And the Holy Ghost want to move on you and use you. 
Oh, see, come on, I'm trying to help somebody. We wonder why sometimes we see great leaders that have, have moral failure, and then we question everything they've ever done. Was it God? The truth of it is it was God. Because the reality is that there's a treasure in earthen vessels, and the gift is a charisma. It is a grace gift. God doesn't do it because of you. He does it in spite of you. He does it because God is good. And God is good. Come on, somebody. Come on, God is good all the time. And what? All the time. God is good. That means he's good when I'm, come on. He's good when I'm good. He's still good when I'm bad. He's not a celestial Santa Claus. He's not making a list. He's not checking it twice. He didn't come to find out who's naughty and nice. He's good and he's good all the time. And God doesn't sometimes use you because of you. God uses you in spite of you. And that's why all the glory goes to the living God. It's a grace gift. It's by grace. Come on. That God uses us. It's an outflow. Come on. He knows how to give good gifts. I'm not getting where I want to. I, I, I love I love sometimes to sit on platforms. Hallelujah. I'm going to make it by 12, all right? Are we okay? I think I am. I like to watch moms. Moms, you know, mothers in church. They're cool. I love them. Hallelujah. They're like, Lord, I love you, Jesus. Hallelujah. <laughs> God, I love you so much, Jesus. Lord, I just thank you. Bah, bah, You're just so good to me. I mean, we move, come on, moms, you all move in and out of the anointing class than anybody ever seen. trying to get you to see is this is a real world with real stuff in it but there's still a real God for real problems in a real world where he can use real people come on that are real messed up now let me say this to you because I think it'll help somebody I think the problem has been especially at least things that I've dealt with is that God used people in spite of themselves and somehow they allowed the anointing to deceive them into thinking what I was doing was okay because God still used me but the truth of it is that's not what it should do the anointing should not deceive you to make you think it's okay to keep doing it ought to be the goodness of God that leads you to repent say God you've been good anyway and because you can't how could I have done such a thing and how it ought to bring change in our lives but see I want to tell you not only does God give us grace gifts because he uses us in spite of us but how many do we also receive not because we deserve it that not only the one ministering but the one receiving receives the grace gifts they are grace gifts they are gifts of healing and see I believe Jesus you say well I you know if you've been smoking don't you get in my prayer line for God to heal you well that's like saying if you're fat don't get in my prayer line that gets on a slippery slope Especially when you got a chubby preacher like this. Who've been to way too many buffets. So many that the Chinese guy say, you read now, you'll be here for an hour. No, come back no more. You take your friend, you read now. This not buffet, this creamer. You bring your suit here. You have body of God. You look like Buddha. No more fried rice for you. You read now. We're crows. <laughs> if you don't enjoy the message, just enjoy the comedy for crying out loud. What are you saying? I'm trying to tell you everybody Jesus healed was a sinner. 
everybody. See, God does it not because we deserve it. We, he, we, God is good all the time. Hallelujah. You know what's really cool about God? I've seen him heal people when they've done burnt their lungs out. And I'm not suggesting you go ahead and do that. And I'm not suggesting, come on, that we use this again as a lifestyle. Because I believe the Lord has really been helping me. I've lost actually 50 pounds. And the reality of it is the Lord has helped me. Because I believe we ought to be, come on, I do believe bodily exercise profits a little. That's right. Help me, Holy Ghost. What I'm trying to get us to realize is if we want to do it on the basis of our merit, that's why nobody gets healed. But when I walk down a church aisle, and what I'm hearing in the scripture is that this man had to knock, he had to plead, he had to beg his friend for something. But what God turns around and say is, if you being evil, if you've got a friend like this, you've got to beg and knock and wear out. What he's trying to say is, I'm not like that at all. If you being evil know how to give good gifts, your Father in heaven will give to them that ask him. Because if a son will ask, that's somebody say, I'm a son this morning. If I'm a son, I'm an heir. God hears my prayers. I can pray effectual fervent prayers and if a son shall ask come on the father come on, already has it in his heart to give if you being evil know how to give good gifts your father which is in heaven come on hallelujah will give to them that ask him for the holy spirit because in the holy spirit is where the kingdom is located and what god is saying is if you ask for bread i'm not going to give you the stone of the law i'm not going to give you the disqualifying points i'm not going to give you the rejection you're going to receive if you ask. I'm trying to build faith this morning. I think about even I think about even the communion table. I'm just going to touch these lights. I'm going to get out your rate. I'm trying my best. The, you know, when I was growing up, when we have communion, we, we would have communion. And before we could take communion, every time that preacher would get back in the pulpit, he'd say, If you eat... See, i got to hack when I do that. If I had a ham and B3 organ, I'd hurt myself. If you eat and drink of the body and the blood of the Lord unworthily, and you take this communion cracker, and you take this shot of grape juice, and you got sin in your life, you are going to eat and drink a damnation to your soul. And I'm a leader, and I'm thinking to myself, if that cracker and grape juice is going to take me to hell, it ain't worth the risk to me. I wish I had another half hour. And the reality of it is, is that I thought, man, you know, as a leader, I would miss that service. Not because I knew of any sin, but I just didn't think it was worth the gamble. Because if I was going to go to hell, it wasn't a cracker and grape juice. I was going to eat and drink. Y'all looking at me funny. Is this too real for you? But what he's really saying there is that when you see what we don't understand is the same night that he took the bread and he broke it, he gave it. I shared this last night. He gave it to his betrayer. Not just Judas, all of them at the table are going to leave him. And he says to every last one of them, this is my body. It was broken for you. And he gave it to his betrayer. Now, here's what I'm after. I used to think about, you know, if you know, if you eat and drink of the body and blood of the Lord unworthily, you eat and drink damnation to your soul. But the scripture says, except you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you don't have any life in you. And I thought, well, now, now wait a minute. That's like saying, uh, you know, if I'm perfect, I can get it. 
but that's what makes me perfect. So it's an oxymoron. In other words, I'm never qualified to eat this, so I never get it. But if I eat that, that's what's going to you know, give me life. It's like saying you've got to be perfect to get the Holy Ghost. And that's why it took several people years to get it, is because they had to pray through their unbelief, because God won't dwell in an unclean vessel. And then I'm thinking, well, when the Holy Spirit comes, he's supposed to reprove the world of sin. So if, so if that's the thing that's going to help you, what we've done is we've kept people away from the very thing that helps them. So to me, eating and drinking of the body and the blood of the Lord unworthily doesn't mean that you're worthy on the basis of what you did. It means that you've discerned the Lord's body. And if you discern the Lord's body, what you realize is this is his body. It was broken for you. His death is what qualifies you to eat. What I ought to do is, come on, is to qualify everybody in the place to receive of the body and the blood of the Lord. And because they are not unworthy, they are worthy now because of what Jesus did so we can come and partake. How many can hear that this morning we are worthy today because of what jesus did so that everybody in the place if we were serving communion ought to be able to belly up to the table and receive it i believe many are weak and sickly among us and many have fallen asleep because we have not discerned that it is the death of jesus it is his broken body it is what he did that was broken for us that gives us healing it gives us life i'm talking about i got a friend on a journey that needs three loaves of bread death burial and resurrection and if I can feed it to him come on somebody it'll bring some life in him yeah. if he asks for fish see the bread the, the, the bread is not to disqualify you the bread is to qualify you it's what he did in his death the fish to me when I when he said if he asked for fish would he give him a serpent and immediately the Lord took me to the story of Jonah where the people begin to, let me quickly get this. When the people begin to say, show us a sign, Jesus said, no sign will be given to this adulterous generation except for the sign of Jonah. For even as Jonah was three days and three nights in the heart of the earth, so must the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Now, how many know that Jesus, when he's talking about Jonah, is talking about that's a picture of his death, his burial, and his resurrection? Now, how many know that when Jesus, come on, identified with you in your fallenness, how many know he died on Calvary not just for you but as you? How many know he was delivered to death not just for you but as you? How many know he went down into hell not just for you but as you? Come on. So that you already got what you deserve if you're in Christ. And how many know just like the fish vomited him up on dry land, how many know Jesus got back up from the dead but the big fish didn't get away? How many know Jesus caught the big fish so he can make fishers of men out of you? I don't think it's an accident. I'm going to go through this quickly, but I don't think it's an accident that the first thing he does after his resurrection, Pastor Scott, is he shows up on the Sea of Tiberias and the boys have already went fishing. I mean, they went fishing and man, they are toiling and they are rolling and they are trying to catch some fish. And Jesus has got bread and fish on the fire and the dude don't got a boat or a fishing pole. Because how I many know after his resurrection, he already caught the fish, cleaned the fish, cooked the fish. Come on, somebody. He caught the big fish. He went down and caught the human family so that when he said, I'll make you fishers of men, he knows how to fish. And when the disciples came and they came in on the water, how I many know he gave them words even of how to fish? He said, you've been towing and you've been rowing, but you need to cast your net on the other side of the ship. What are you saying, Dr. House? I'm saying we've been fishing on the old covenant side of the boat and we've been towing and rowing and working and laboring and struggling and working and rowing and we ain't catching no fish with old covenant mentalities. I'm trying to tell you to cast your net on the other side. Cast it on the new covenant side. Cast it on the side of affirmation and you will catch a ton of fish. Hallelujah. And then Peter comes and he sees Jesus. 
with bread and fish on the fire. And when he sees Jesus, Jesus looks at him. I love this. He said, Simon, son of Jonah. You didn't catch that. Simon, son of Jonah, lovest thou me? And he gives him three times to tell him how much he loves him because he knew he denied him three times. And for every time he denied him, Peter got to say, I love you, Lord. But now he calls him the son of Jonah because now the power of resurrection is available. Come on to catch fish. Secondly, when I thought about this, I thought about Corinthians where the scripture says, don't be like Eve who was beguiled by the serpent. To move away from the simplicity that's in Christ. How many know sometimes we've asked for bread and we've asked for fish and many times we've been to church and all we got was a serpent. What we got was confusing, manipulating, come on, serpents. Last but not least, he said if a man will ask for an egg, will he give him a scorpion? And immediately my mind went to Corinthians 15 where it says that the strength of sin is the law and it's what gives death a sting. But last but not least in 2 Chronicles it says, uh, 2 Chronicles, let me get this when I am landing, I'm circling, landing gear is coming up. I want to apologize for being so lengthy but I believe the Lord is speaking and I don't want to apologize for obeying God. Is that alright? 2 Chronicles 10 verse 11 says this. And whereas my father put a heavy yoke upon you, I will put more, I will put more to your yoke. My father chastised you with whips, but I will chastise you with scorpions. And when I thought about eggs, bread, fish, and eggs, I thought about an egg would be the symbol of embryonic resurrection life. Can you see bread, fish, eggs, death, burial, resurrection? All of these things or uh, stones was all these were common to the Sinai Desert. Stone was where the law was given. It was noted for its scorpions and it was noted for its snakes. In other words, I'm not taking you to Sinai. I'm taking you to the new covenant. Am I making sense so far? And I'm not going to give you. And they said that there was a scorpion that balled up was white, looked like an egg, but when it would open up, it would sting you. But I want to tell you that we've come to a place where we're not receiving the sting of death, which is the law. We're not receiving the rejection that disqualifies you. We're receiving the gospel of the kingdom that affirms you. And all of a sudden, I begin to hear when he read out of the Chronicles, when he said, My father chastised you with whips, but I will chastise you with scorpions. I heard the Lord say, When I took the whipping post, I was chastised with a scorpion's whip. I was wounded for your transgressions. I was bruised for your iniquity. The chastisement for your peace was laid on me by whose stripes you are healed. So if you're asking for an egg, you are not going to get a whipping. You're going to receive the fact that I've already been whipped. It took every disease. I believe when they pulled Jesus tight like a canvas, he said, with every whip that cut across his back, there goes cancer. There goes sugar diabetes. There goes, come on, mental problems. There, go, Come on, somebody. There goes uh, AIDS. There goes every disease known to man. I'm telling you, a son can ask. Stand on your feet all over this room this morning. I'm telling you that what he's saying is this child is I'm not like your friend. I'm not like him that you've got to aggravate me and you've got to press on me and you've got to beg me. And then when you do come and you ask me for bread, I give you stones. I give you rules on rocks. Or when you come and you ask me for a fish, I don't give you a serpent. When you come and you ask me for eggs, I don't give you a scorpion. It's all stuff that has to do with law and legalism because Jesus prayed, a son prayed. 
thy kingdom come. It transferred us out of that old covenant into a new covenant where it's the covenant of affirmation. And I believe that today, in this place, we can ask and we will receive. We can seek and we will find. We can knock and it will be opened. I believe there's some real paradigm shifts that have taken place in our minds as we have literally repented for the last three days. And when I say repent, I'm not talking about just come to an altar and weep and cry and say, God, please forgive me. I'm talking about we've made a shift in the way we think. You know what I appreciate is, you know what I really appreciate is that I can come into a place like this. And I know when I leave, it's not going to go back to how it was before I got here because I know the word that's being preached in this house. You're not getting, come on. This man of God's not serving rocks. He's not preaching devils every week. And he's not giving you scorpions. He's giving you bread, fish, and eggs. I didn't know until after the first night where I preached some of the things I preached that he's right now in the middle of a series on greatness. Because what's going to happen is somebody is going to believe. Pastor Scott, I almost feel like we're in the matrix this morning. And somebody's took the red pill. Oh, you're not seeing this. You're starting to twitch. You're, the body of Christ, come on, it's starting to twitch. It's starting to come alive. And Hallelujah. I'm standing behind the matrix saying, they're starting to believe. Come on, they're starting to believe. I said, you're starting to believe. Because somebody in that first movie was a witch that told that guy, you ain't the one. You ain't the one. But I came to tell you, you are the one. I came to tell you, you're a chosen generation. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. I came to tell you, in all of your humanity, you are still the offspring of the living God. I came to tell you that your qualification is not based on your performance. That you are qualified and accepted in the beloved. Hallelujah. And if you're not a son, all you've got to do to become a son is simply believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. I don't know how to end a service like this, except if you're here this morning and you don't know the Lord, these altars are open. I know it's a little bit after 12 and your stomach may be growling, but we got probably the furthest to drive of anybody today. But if you, if you don't know Jesus this morning, these altars are open. Are you hearing where I'm coming from? And it's not God pushing you away. It's not when you come, okay, you get saved by grace through faith. Now here's the rules. No. The Holy Spirit comes in. And effortlessly, God begins to change you. See, I'm, I'm, you know, there's a lot of guys trying to preach a message that God's not going to bring any kind of change. What's different about what I'm preaching is, is that God... It's not just giving you a bunch of requirement to change. He's putting his spirit in you to change you. And the moment you get born again, something happens inside you. Stuff changes, man. And you're going to find yourself starting to lose the appetite for the stuff you used to have. And God's going to begin to transform your life. That's what I love about this. It's not about me doing it for myself. Work harder, try harder, double my efforts, recommit, rededicate. It's simply allowing the Holy Spirit to do the work in me. For anyone struggling to understand John's writings in Revelation, this book provides true, biblically-based answers. 
Through detailed insights into the letters John wrote to the seven churches of his day, you will learn how to avoid the mistakes of the early church to overcome today's trials and tribulations. This book will provoke you to thought and dialogue, bringing greater clarity and revelation of Jesus Christ.